You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Today, I want to talk about what's called queer theology, which is really interesting, I think so, at least, and it has far-reaching implications. On the surface, queer theology, this is only on the surface, we're going to go deeper than that, but on the surface, queer theology is what it sounds like. It's a theology that affirms queerness and queer folk as having an equal standing in the church. And by the way, I'm using that term queer here today as a kind of catch-all term for anybody uh, for the entire LGBTQIA community. And uh, queer has become sort of a catch-all term for that, a kind of shorthand um, for that. So queer theology on the surface is about affirming queer folks and queer sexuality. But again, that's the most superficial definition of it that many people assume is like the entirety of it. But that's really so much more than that. It's funny, sometimes I'm asked, how did deconstruction lead you, Aaron, to becoming affirming? And I feel like that it's kind of a funny question because I feel like that's, that's like asking someone who's just moved to a place like Big Bear, how did moving to Big Bear lead to you, you know, getting into snowboarding or skiing? <laughs> it's like, how could it not? Now, obviously some people probably live in Big Bear who don't ski or snowboard, but the point is, uh, nobody would ask, why does one thing have to do with the other, right? Obviously, they're entirely related, and I feel the same way about going through deconstruction. In fact, I would say that if one's deconstruction has not led them uh, yet to a place of affirming same-sex relationships, then one has not deconstructed enough yet. One has not yet come to terms with the queerness of God and the world. I love this quote from Marcella Alphys Reed, a prominent queer theologian and scholar today. She says this, and I've shared this quote before. It's one of my favorite. This world is queer indeed, and those who wish to play it straight are failing to see that new horizons are declared holy, and we are propelled on in courage and not certainty. I love that part. We are propelled on in courage, not in certainty. Where are those? Where are those who will sit with the fear and uncertainty and not flee in the face of a queer God? Jesus's early followers fled in the face of a crucified God. Very queer indeed. Very queer in the Jewish world. They fled to, quote, life as normal but it didn't work. It could never work because life, if fully engaged with, is far, far from normal. Norms are easy conveniences for those who like surveys and statistics. They are not for those who live. Life can never be normal for those who embrace the flesh as divine, end quote. Isn't that a, isn't that a great paragraph from her. This is queer theology. To say that God is queer means that God defies all normative expectations. God defies any and all explanations and descriptions. God is beyond what we can describe or domesticate. 
Even to say God is love isn't to completely define all that God is, because love is a human concept. That's a word in English. God transcends, we would say, that. Queer theology is really a way of celebrating mystery, incomprehensibility, novelty, complexity, and diversity. It's all of that. Whether we're talking about God or people, the goal of queer theology is not to eliminate differences, bring everything into a kind of homogenous one. The goal is not to eliminate differences, complexity, and ambiguity. Rather, of course, to celebrate these things, to embrace these things, to celebrate these things, because the world is very queer indeed. God is very queer indeed. This means the goal is to embrace the other as they are and let them be themselves and allow their differences to inform and disrupt us when we get too comfortable. It's fair to say that one of the goals of queer theology is to transgress and disrupt. It is to transgress and disrupt our archaic and rigid ways of thinking, transgress and disrupt our politics, transgress and disrupt our theology, transgress, disrupt all these things so that we might become truly open to the, to the other, to the one who is truly other and to the new, to the novel. Again, queer theology is about so much more than simply you know, affirming queer folk or queer readings of scripture, gay-friendly ways of reading the Bible. It's about a radical openness to the other and embracing a world of endless possibilities, not just for us and others, but for God too. And if it occurred to me this week while I was preparing this talk for today, that queer theology is basically deconstruction. Deconstruction, you could say, is, is the queering of God. Deconstruction is, is the queering of the Bible, the queering of the world. Deconstruction is realizing that the world, our, our concepts of God, our sacred texts, these things, these are wonderfully complex things. They're truly strange full of mystery and novelty, embracing these truths, making peace with them, letting go of our fears of them. It's not just what queer theology is about, but also what deconstruction is about, it seems to me. So deconstruction is queer theology, in my opinion, and queer theology is deconstruction to a great degree, which is to say, for those of us in deconstruction, we've been doing queer theology <laughs> without even knowing it. This is why the question, how did deconstruction lead you to become affirming is kind of a silly one to me. How could it not? If taken seriously and taken to its ultimate conclusions, how could it not? And in order to understand this better, we need to understand that one of the main tenets of queer theology is this conviction that a loving style of relationship should be the end goal of all theology. Hear that again. A loving style of relationship should be the end goal of all theology. I don't know who said that originally. It wasn't me. I didn't come up with that. I forget who. <laughs> 
But I take that to mean that unless one's theology is leading them to a place where all human beings are fully affirmed and valued equally, regardless of their gender, sexuality, race, religion, class, etc., unless one's theology is leading them there, then one's theology kind of sucks <laughs> and needs to be deconstructed. And again, this is, this is a much broader and deeper understanding of queer theology because it's rooted in this idea that, that love is the end goal or the heart of any good theology, love. Queer theology presupposes that love is the only true orthodoxy, which means that anything that isn't love is heresy. Heresy is not about having the wrong beliefs regarding the virgin birth or the second coming or stuff like the Nicene Creed, but rather heresy is whatever dehumanizes the other. To take this even deeper, queer theology is about how the flesh itself is divine. How this body and this world, in all of its diversity and complexity and so-called queerness, is divine. This means that queer theology tends to be a, a theology of imminence, we would say, rather than a theology of transcendence. What does that mean? Well, Within queer theology is this idea that God is not distant and far removed. God is not this supreme being, this transcendent supreme being on high, distant and far removed from this life and this world, tucked away somewhere in the safe confines of heaven and glory beyond. But rather, God is located right here, right now, in this life, this world, and in us, in the so-called flesh. That's what the incarnation was about. God is not transcendent, God is imminent, which to say that God is imminent is a kind of transcendence, but it's a transcendence about that's located in this, in the imminent, not out there, here. Queer theology is that God is imminent. God is found right here, right now in the fabric of our lives, our world, and in each other. In fact, queer theology would emphasize today, specifically this Sunday, for those of you who don't keep up with your church calendar, today is Pentecost. Yeah. For those of you who don't know uh, what Pentecost is, it is this event detailed in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church, right? This is the story of the disciples in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descending upon them as tongues of fire over their heads and they started speaking in other tongues, right? Pentecost is really about this idea of God's spirit being poured out everywhere in the world, not just on, in, in the church on that day in the upper room in Jerusalem, but it's about the Holy Spirit being poured out into this world completely. And it's a really nice coincidence for this talk today because queer theology, you could say, is pure Pentecost. Queer theology, you could say, is pure Pentecost, which is to say it's more Pentecostal than even Pentecostalism. I grew up Pentecostal. For those of you who don't know what Pentecostalism is, it's this denomination or, or I don't know what you want to say, sect of Christianity within the church today. So about 100 years old. Started right here in Azusa, actually, 
on the turn of the century. But Pentecostalism is this, is this um, Christian tradition that emphasizes the supernatural, spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues, exorcisms, divine healing, ecstatic forms of worship, you know, dancing in the aisles, and uh, altered states of consciousness. You know, this, this deeply exp you know, expressive form of Christianity that seeks to kind of, lack of a better term, to get high. Get high on the Lord. <laughs> uh, I grew up this way. I grew up Pentecostal. I know a lot about it. Um, but uh, what's interesting about Pentecostalism, uh, queer theology is actually more Pentecostal than Pentecostalism because Pentecostalism, like a lot of conservative Christianity, tends to be very dualistic. Pentecostals tend to believe that this life, this world, this body is fallen and corrupt. It's inherently sinful from the fall of man, right, Garden of Eden. And therefore, this body, this, this world must be left behind. Whether that means that we die and we go to heaven, right, or, you know, the rapture occurs. God takes us out of this world in order to condemn the world and judge the world, right? Or this idea in Pentecostalism or in a lot of conservative Christianity that, you know, Christ is returning in order to create a new heaven and a new earth because this heaven, so to speak, this cosmos is fallen and corrupt. It's very, Pentecostalism is very dualistic. But queer theology is very monistic, meaning it's about a kind of oneness, this idea that God's spirit is here now. Heaven and earth are combined. The sacred and the secular are combined. Flesh and spirit are one. This life, this world is sacred and holy. This is where God dwells in us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, the New Testament says. So queer theology rejects Pentecostal dualism for a kind of monism. Flesh and spirit, it's all one. And this means that queer theology is even more Pentecostal, I would say, than Pentecostalism, because it's, it maintains that God has blessed the flesh and poured herself, himself, their self, out into the world completely. This is what Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, is about, with the result that this world and our bodies are declared divine, and therefore the needs of our body, the needs of our body are in fact divine. This extends, of course, into sexuality. This, you could say, is the revelation of Pentecost. In the wake of Pentecost, we realize that God, the divine, the transcendent, the infinite, whatever you want to call it, is found right here and now. In whatever is life-giving and healing and liberating, God is found in whatever fills us with awe and wonder, whatever beautifies and ennobles life and the lives of others. This is God. God is love which I take to mean that God can be found anywhere. People are engaging in acts of kindness and compassion and justice and gratefulness and, and forgiveness and self-sacrifice, selflessness, things like that. That is where we find God in this life, this world. This is the deeper insight of queer theology, which means that for those of us who believe in it or subscribe to it or find meaning in it, 
we are truly Pentecostal, <laughs> which is kind of funny to me now as a former Pentecostal. I'm kind of more Pentecostal now than ever before. I'm still speaking in tongues, you could say. What is, what, what is it to speak of God, but to speak in tongues, to speak in the language of the Spirit, to speak mysteries, to speak of things ineffable, things you can't speak of, things that are frankly gibberish. And yet, for those with ears to hear, the revelation of the Spirit. Um, we're, we're kind of more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals because this is where we live. This is what, how we think. In my opinion, this is what happens to a lot of us after deconstruction. We have this deeper awareness of the Spirit, what it means to live by the Spirit. And now it's not bifurcated into one particular part of our life, but it's seamless. To live in the Spirit is to live as Christ, to live with these convictions, love, and justice, kindness. Anyway, so that's basically what queer theology is. And I hope you see how it's really so much more than simply affirming queer folk or gay-friendly ways of reading the Bible. It's really about these other ideas. And I'm just going to recap what those ideas are because I said a lot. It's about this idea of a loving style of relationship, that a loving style of relationship should be the end goal of all theology. Love is the only true orthodoxy. And then second, we have this idea that God is imminent rather than transcendent. God is found in the fabric of our lives rather than distant and far removed. Thus, the world and our bodies are divine. Queer theology is a kind of true Pentecostalism. And finally, queer theology is about this idea of embracing differences and complexity, ambiguity, whether we're talking about God or our neighbor. It's about this idea that God defies all normative expectations. God transgresses and disrupts our preconceived notions and assumptions so that we become totally open to the new, totally open to the other. That's basically queer theology as I understand it. And as we turn our attention today to the Lord's Supper, I want us to meditate on this idea of God being completely poured out into the world on this, the day of Pentecost. This is not just the meaning of Pentecost, but also the meaning of the incarnation and crucifixion. Here in these elements, we find Jesus's body and blood poured out for us. Here we find the body of God poured out into the world. And we are invited to partake in this and receive this. And by doing so, we are declaring that our bodies in this world are divine, as divine as the body and blood of our Lord, as divine as the body and blood of our Lord, which is before us this morning in Holy Sacrament. This is the deeper meaning, and frankly, the queer meaning. <laughs> of the Lord's Supper. And so as Max leads us in song, I invite you forward this morning, partake and receive from the Lord. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. 
If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. Questions, comments about queer theology, Pentecostalism, deconstruction. Yeah, all of that is in play. Jesse, here you are. Hopefully, that, just, mic, hopefully that mic works okay for yeah, you. Yeah, I got it. Um, I like what you had to say. I would also say the thing I like about Althana Reed and her theology is that the way she presents queer theology, she offers insight into Christian concepts and views that we who were raised in the church have become numb to. Yeah. And so one of, one of her, um, one of her journal articles starts off telling about, (laughs) starts off telling, they love love microphones. I know. Um, Starts off telling the story about this Latin American foot fetish, um, what's the word, pamphlet. And she leads that into a story of the cross and, and foot washing and, and wow. honoring of um, sacredness in this really interesting way. And everything, all of the ways she talks about these different concepts have those kind of very decentering yes. inroads that then help you reimagine what these very rote concepts, because we've been indoctrinated with them in culture and in um, the traditions you may have grown up in so much. And that's one of the beautiful things I think with queer theology, hers specifically, but others, is it invites us into new perspectives on how to see the elements and aspects of faith. Yes, yeah, no, that's why I really like, she's talking about Marcella Althus Reed um, who I quoted, who's, would you say she's kind of like the preeminent queer scholar today? I don't even know. But. Um, she's definitely one of the scholars who really, so she's, she's originally a liberationist theology, a feminist liberation okay. theologian. That makes sense. And she pushes, she pushes beyond um, liberation theology because liberation theology was very sexist Mm. in a lot of ways and very anti-queer. And so her scholarship then pushes that beyond um, the boundaries of male contained liberation theology. Um, And she's, she is one of the key people when okay. you're studying queer theology. It's, it's interesting that even liberation theology needed to be liberated from itself <laughs> by queer theology and other, which is kind of an expression or a branch on the liberation theology tree. Anyway, we could go into that, but thank you. And actually, I think you're the one who originally sent me those articles from her, yeah. that, that quote that I used today came out oh, of years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah, great, good stuff. Um, anybody else want to comment or have any questions about queer theology and how it might relate to deconstruction and uh, Pentecost. I also would like to uh, 
ask the question this morning um, about your own journey through these these issues. Um, in particular, you know, if you have like a story about your own, I want to say, process of becoming affirming, whether you are gay or straight, you know, I'm curious to hear like what were the main turning points in your in your journey and your story, maybe the definitive issues that really changed your your perspective and your deconstructive process to become affirming. I'm interested in hearing those stories as, as well. Anybody wanna share? I'll go first. Um, <laughs> um, it, I mean, honestly, it happened here. It happened he here at Central eight years ago. I actually, um, this week in preparing my, my talk for today, did some research in, into my emails um, and found when it was that I first went to the GCN conference, which was called the Gay Christian Network Conference, and now it's QCF, because um, that was kind of my definitive turning point. It was eight years ago. I thought it was longer than that, but it was only eight years ago. And it was because Jonathan Stein, who's since moved away to Cleveland, Ohio, who was a, a, big, a major part of this church for many years, he was the first gay Christian who attended here back 10 years ago. And he and I used to have lunches and I was at a point when I first started here that I wasn't fully affirming. I was what you call kind of side B, whereby I just was sort of agnostic about LGBTQ Christians. I wouldn't say they're going to hell, but I also probably wouldn't perform a gay wedding at that point when I first took this job. Um, I uh, had a good, so I, I had a friendship with Jonathan and Jonathan uh, invited me to go to the Gay Christian Network Conference eight years ago in Chicago. And I heard Rachel Held Evans, the late Rachel Held Evans was there um, speaking. But I came away from that conference on the airplane home, being deeply convicted about all that I saw and heard. And, and I'm using that term convicted. I know that's a Christianese word, but it's helpful here. Um, I felt convicted that I need to change my position on this issue and own where I'm at. That weekend was sort of like a conversion, frankly. It was really like a, a, I was born again, you could say, um, where I was so moved by the love of gay Christians at that conference and their suffering, so moved by their, their shared suffering and their love for each other and their conviction that Christ love them and that they were and their commitment to the church despite the fact that the church had shut them out i was so moved by that by and i i came away from that conference saying that was the most gospel-centered christ-like thing i had ever seen in my whole life that conference the shared suffering the love and care for each other that i saw at that the embodiment of the gospel that I, I just said, I know this is, this is totally of God and I need as a pastor to come out as it were, as an affirming straight pastor. And um, that was my moment. And it, of course, there's a whole backstory that I was already in deconstruction and this was part of that, as I talked about in my, in my talk today. But that was my moment. It was seeing the love of the gay Christian community and the shared suffering the embodiment of the gospel, you could say, at that, at that conference in 2014. That was my turning point. But anyway, that's, that was my story. I'm just curious if anybody wants to share theirs. Uh, Steve, can you, uh, oh, Aaron Herman announcing our church is being outwardly first. Yes, it is. It, it, it really, it is. Actually, I didn't know that. I assumed it was somewhere. I didn't know it was, it's still up online. 
Nice. Good job, Bob. You get a gold star for today. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Anybody else want to share their their story? It's okay if you don't. Yeah, sure. You got a question? Um, again, I grew up in Missouri but did not attend church. So a lot of what you talk about, <laughs> I don't follow. You you um, haven't deconstructed, in other words, you would say. Would I, you say that? I haven't instructed or deconstructed. Yes, but exactly. That was my good. question. Good, my good. question was, what is deconstruction? And is that ah. something that um, all religions or religious people are going through? Or is that something new or something old? Ooh, that's a really good question. Oh, and Jesse wants to answer that. So, or, good. Steve and I wrote a paper on this. My mind just went to like a thousand different places. I was like, I even know where to start. Go ahead. Yeah, most, um, so deconstruction is people reevaluating their position to generally fundamentalist or conservative branches of their religion. Although there is, we didn't talk about this, but there is, I think also the deconstruction back into a conservative modality. Um, it's not really as talked about but I can remember in undergrad people who grew up in very liberal churches moving into like Eastern Orthodox. That's a big thing. Yeah. Um, but overall it's people leaving and processing through the gatekeeping of fundamentalist conservative traditions, be it Islam, be it Mormonism, um, be it Judaism, whatever. So a lot of the major text-based religions that have fundamental aspects do have people deconstructing and that's a phenomenon that we started to see probably 2005 really kicking in um, a lot of mormons deconstructed a lot of uh, conservative christians deconstructing and islam deconstructing in part because of the fanaticalness of those conservative or fundamentalist groups from those um religious bodies and so something like under the manner of heaven is somebody's process because of the way an ex-mormon is coding this story a public image of deconstruction or um who's what's his name the guy who was a cog and went to oral roberts and became here, uh, Jesse, use my mic. This one's probably a little better. Yeah, one has receptivity. Yeah. So there's a, a black Pentecostal pastor who went to Oral Roberts, who was his, um, he groomed by him to take over kind of the Church of God. Um, and in 2002 to 2005, he stopped believing in hell and then stopped believing in evangelicalism and he's his story they did a documentary on him three or four years ago and there's an npr um this american life episode on him carlton harrison and he was probably the one of the first more prominent figures to go through a deconstruction he was a really central figure in um evangelicalism. Uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, just had a big deconstruction. We've seen um, 
various people who are musical figures or artistic figures in the field doing that. Um, another one who's been in a long deconstruction process would be Dave Bazan, who's the lead singer of Pedro the Lion in the headphones. Um, so it's a phenomenon that we've seen specifically with the rise and push of the evangelicals aligning with the religious right about 15 to 20 years after that starts building. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, Steve, I'll give you a chance to, it, basically, it's the loss or the change of your beliefs. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. It is the loss or a significant change in your beliefs, and that can happen for a lot of reasons. But yeah, Steve. That's basically what I was going to say. Yeah. I think, um, so if you look at just the word, it's just a process of reanalyzing yeah. you know, what you believe and sort of breaking it apart in these different elements, kind of like what we were doing today with uh, queer theology or yes. with Pentecostalism saying, okay, what is Pentecostalism? Let's analyze it. Let's think about it. And then it kind of process through where we emerge now in, as our beliefs change. Um, so it's, it's kind of a hot word right now. You see it, you'll, you'll see it around uh, in like Time Magazine is writing articles about deconstruction and things like that, but it kind of is just a general movement of people in the, the process of it. Yeah, but if we're going to deconstruct deconstruction itself, let me just do that real quick. If you want to go, back. Uh, the word itself is is appropriated from postmodern theory. So specifically, the work of Jacques Derrida, who was a French analyst theorist from the 20th century. Um, in a sense, the, the funny thing about the word deconstruction in Christian circles is it, it itself is a kind of um, it's it's kind of been misappropriated from postmodern theory. Um, but anyway, that's deconstructing the word deconstruction itself. But Nevertheless, the whole deconstruction movement is a postmodern movement. It is about the critique of meta narratives, the critique of idols, the critique of you know these grand overarching stories that we were told define reality, like the Bible, like Christianity. It's to say that all meta narratives, all religions, all grand overarching stories that we inherit uh, in our culture, all of those are are culturally contingent. None of them fell out of heaven one day as divine revelation. They are all human creations, human constructs, and need to be understood as such. Now, that immediately scares people because it sounds like atheism. <laughs> Deconstruction is, is about acknowledging the human and cultural constructs that are your faith and beliefs. That's kind of at the heart of it. But Jesse, yeah. Um, Steve, can you hand the mic back to her? I would also say it's it's... A deacon, it's a critique of the embedded default of Protestant white male patriarchy yes. that really codes modernism. So it is completely the undermining or critiquing or upending of the notion that what is most normative is a white male Christian patriarchy, specifically Protestant, although Catholic overlaps with that because of the history mm -hmm. of church and yeah. control of the world via church. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Um, somebody else want to talk about that? I have something they want to share. We haven't done an actual talk about deconstruction itself in a long time. Maybe that'd be worth doing in dialogue with a few of you. Anyway, I'm just thinking out loud. Anybody online want to share? Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> 
thank you for being here. Uh, this is, again, the beginning of Pride Month. And so every week, every Sunday this month, we're going to be talking about specifically itch issues germane to the LGBTQIA, well, just said, I should just say queer community. Um, and uh, in keeping with that, I, as a white, straight, cis guy, will not be the only one talking about this this month. <laughs> Ashley Lynn Hanks will be here at the last two Sundays of the month. And of course, every week, I, I love to hear from all of you. But um, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for all of you who joined us via Zoom. And uh, yeah, go in peace. Mm -hmm.